You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Uh, as, a, as a CEO of the company, I want to increase the amount of money that I pay to people. So like I have to bring more gigs. <laughs> yeah. A lot of responsibilities, <laughs> but like I think that the, the role of CEO, the, the quality of CEO is measured by how much you pay people. Ladies and gentlemen, my name's Benny Goodman, and this week we have Shoto Nakama, who literally has replaced Anthony Bourdain dun, 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 as the guy's job that I want every one of them. He does everything, his entire existence, literally everything he does. I'm just like, I wish I did that. And he's like, I should be paid for it. And okay. he is. Okay, we've started with a rant and get ready for 12 more of those throughout this episode. They were like progressively larger rants as they went on. Mind blowing. But, but <laughs> Sh- Sh- Shoda is uh, really uh, one of the guests that, that, connects I think with what we're doing uh, through Lost Symphony and, and the production and the orchestral world um, so it's a great conversation that we learned a ton from and I think anyone's gonna be able to pick out a lot of nuggets in there as far as navigating the creative process in the business world uh, especially as a creative you know he talks about some decisions that he's had to make you know in the as a business owner that he didn't realize he had to make as a creative person yeah, and we got uh, so, into a lot of the creative discussions of, of composing non-linear video game music. So if you're into the nerdier side of composition and production, this is definitely the episode for you. He yeah. he forced, just so you know, he forced Berkeley School of Music to get a new teacher to make video game music a thing. And yeah, which we talked basically, about in part one. Uh, this is also part one, but go back and watch it. He also risked the entire farm. And it's not a farm in Asia. Not his farm, but he risked the farm to be at Boston Symphony Hall and then Japan. They flew their all their dignitary news people out there to cover it because, again, it's an international affair with this guy all the time. Hear, you'll hear all about this multiple times from Ben throughout the episode. So let's get into part two believe it. with Shota Nakama right now, 2020. Subscribe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of 2020. I'm here with Corey Peza and Benny Goodman. My name is Siobhan Cronin, and we are back for part two with our incredible guest, Shoda Nakama. I hope I pronounced that properly. Hopefully our boss soon. (laughs) I work for Shoda. Shoda, when do I punch the time clock? (laughs) Creator of the video game orchestra, incredible entrepreneur. He had an amazing story that he had to tell in part one, so go back and check that out if you haven't yet. He's the creator of the video game sector of music. He's the creator of many He made Berkeley School of Music get a teacher to teach what he's doing anyway because he made his little after school class for his friends. And they're like, oh, I guess we should have this. And then apparently when he did it at a bigger level, uh, the Japanese people flew Japanese reporters out there because apparently Japan thinks that this guy's a big deal. I don't know. Just saying. 
But they didn't when he decided at the age of, what, 13, 12, 13, that he was going to quit, become a, a rock star musician, move to the U.S. So you got to go listen to the whole story of part one. Big Rebel turned into an amazing success. <laughs> Can't wait to, <laughs> to jump into more yeah, stories. But, but yeah, continuing on in, in this hour, just because there's so much to cover, we, we haven't even touched on. So, you know, video game orchestra is a, is a huge part of your life, but it's not the only part, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about some other things you have going on? I, I, I know you, you mentioned uh, Soundtrack. Yeah, Soundtrack is uh, is kind of like a, it started as a spinoff of Video Game Orchestra because my, uh, my friends were telling me like, you know, why don't you start a music production and just record for the soundtracks and stuff? So I'm like, sure, why not? Like, let's just do it. And so the first gig we got was um, um, recording choir for Tekken. And this friend of mine uh, from Bandai Namco, he was like, hey, um, I want this authentic Western choir sound. Can you get me a bunch of singers? I'm like, sure. Yes, we can do that. And and people don't tell you what it is for before you work on it. And so we didn't, we didn't, so we didn't know what it was. But then um, as, the, as the, the story progressed and he was like, oh, like this, this is a game. So let's do this. And... Uh, so he i have a funny story about this actually um so like i got together with like 30 singers or something and uh, this composer friend before he came over he sent me the music he was like hey can you just like sort of orchestrate and i used to sing in a choir for like three years or something when, when i went to uh, seattle for, for college of course you did why wouldn't you sing in a choir too <laughs> right yeah it's fun were you good at gardening as well no, no, they're not in the gardening. I suck at that. <laughs> um, but yeah, like he's like back then, like my teacher was like, "Hey, like it will help your English." So it just joined the the choir. So like it actually did, and it helped me to make some friends too. But yeah, so like through that experience, I learned how to write for choir. So I kind of knew like how things should sound. So then um, the the client asked for, um, "Can you write the lyrics too in Latin?" And I'm like, "In Latin, okay." So can you give me keywords, blah, blah, blah. And, and he sent me like, oh, so here's a text. Like everything is here. And I just immediately went to Google Translator and just like made up <laughs> Latin lyrics for this piece. Oh, nobody you, noticed. Nobody no, no, noticed. You, you know what you should have done? Wait, you had such an opportunity. You should have written it in Phenotian and given them another dead language and given them a bait and switch and they wouldn't fucking know. Like, yeah, what do you type it into Google Translate? Go from Latin to Phenotian. Yeah. Well, like, I think what I wrote was like a Google Translate Latin. Like, it wasn't a proper Latin, I don't yeah. think. But I it's knew okay. how, how I Latin sounded. You're, like, you're like, this is yeah. mighty caliente. Yeah. So like nobody noticed we signed and everything is good and like things things are okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some some priest is at home like hey wait a minute you're like e pluribus <laughs> unum. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like two years ago I think I, I finally told the composer that uh, hey by the way this is what I did and he almost after fainted. The, yeah, after the check cleared you're like by the way yeah yeah, yeah it's like you know <laughs> ten years ago like who cares now. <laughs> But yeah, so that, but like we did the gig and the gig itself went well. So he came back and uh, we eventually like ended up doing like a bunch of other games together, like five, six games of his and until he went freelance from the company. Like we worked together quite a bit and we recorded a bunch of solo singers for his records. And yeah, so that's, that's how you get the next gig. Like you execute. 
It's awesome. Yeah. When you say yeah, this, that's, you good just, advice. that's this week's fake it till you make it lesson. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, like then like we got, we started getting a bunch of gigs like that and uh, people heard about us and it just, the, the, the word Boston has a kind of prestigiousness in Asia. For sure. And they're like, yeah. Boston is like a great city. It's like, <laughs> it's like a legendary, legendary. Yeah, well, city. the land of Harvard and and Berkeley and all these amazing conservatories and very elite. Yeah. Everyone intellectual in the U.S. Culture. thinks we're assholes. <laughs> I figured him out, like because you come off as so humble and you're so like you, you seem like you're quiet and you're reserved, and, but meanwhile you're like this fucking rebel. You're like using this. <laughs> you, you're like fuck everyone in my country. I know I'm gonna be out of here. I'm gonna go to the U.S. where it's paved with gold in that city, Boston. I'm gonna take it the fuck over. I'm gonna be like, oh, like oh, I don't know how much it costs. I have no money. And then meanwhile, you're fucking packing places. You're calling people. You're like, can we get Japan news over here? And like, then you're like, I'm just gonna start a company. Oh, you don't want to get paid money. You don't like that. I'll find other musicians that like to get paid money. I'm gonna start my own thing. And then China calls. China's like, hey. Hey, man, you want to come do this? And we're like, well, but we're playing in front of 300,000 people You're in Brazil. You're supposed to save this so, rant for the end of the episode. Yeah, no, but you, I, I, he's I, just going to keep adding on blown. to it and repeat it every couple but of I'm minutes. But I'm saying I'm blown away because it's just like he's so casual about it. He's just sitting here and he's just casual and like what a japanese thing it's like mariko like oh i was on tv at eight no you're amazing your mom <laughs> told you how to be incredible by one by 1. 1.5 you were literally a savant like that's you that's you you're like i invented the video game orchestration space all you guys are doing it's like when leibniz came up with infinitesimal calculus all right he newton was already talking to the pope so he gets credit for it so like when we came up with the idea for lost symphony where we think we're doing this autonomous thing or our own thing nothing's like this you're like i already invented this i invented it you're just living in my space that's all i've heard this entire last episode <laughs> So thank that you for having us. at the end of the second episode, but you got an early preview, so I'm sure yes. there's an even so longer one. So thanks for hanging out. It's, it's the end of the second no, part, like, too. I, We've I covered think, everything. I, yeah, but I think, you know, like all the experiences like I gained from like making mistakes during recording pro recording production stuff or like live concert stuff, and that that's like what made me, I guess, like, well, calm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it it's like the audacity at that time. You must have had some spunk where someone's like, this guy's fucking out of his mind. But now yeah. you know that you're out of your mind and you can be in your mind. Yeah. Can you, yeah like, can I, you, so where, where you're at, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think it's, it's an important uh, point to touch on. You know, you mentioned that, you know, going through all this trial by fire and, and kind of figuring mm -hmm. things out as you go, you know, now you Good you're, you're, a little more, you're a little more... Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, you're a little more calm and, and, and you kind of have a grasp on things. But obviously, at a certain point, I'm sure, you know, you were pulling your, your lovely locks out, you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, can you talk maybe about a time or an example where you maybe, you know, said yes to something and then you're like, oh, shit, now I have to figure this out. And maybe, you know, you struggled with that a bit. <laughs> Yeah, well, I got that Latin text thing was a great example. Well, that I was think. that was you <laughs> nailed that one. <laughs> yeah, but I did it, and that's uh, a like, win, dude. Like yeah. I don't even know how. To, uh, you did that wasn't hard for you. You just fucking said fuck it, and they said, "Oh, he's right." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And but like also the Symphony Hall show, like risking like such a high amount of money without a clue. 
(laughs) But that only applies if you didn't win, but you won. You've had no negative reinforcement. You're like the guy that like, oh, I'm going to buy one scratch ticket. And the first time he does it, he wins $10,000. You're not the guy that like loses the first $6,000. You're like, I shouldn't do that. You're like, no. Oh, I won. I should buy another one. And then you win the second time. too. I guess guess what would be uh, a good other way is like, what's one of the more valuable lessons that you were forced to learn? um, Yeah, by failing. (laughs) <laughs> Did you ever fail at doesn't anything? That's to be a huge Corey failure. Have his question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, but like I, I think failure is just it doesn't bother me. Uh, it because you know it's because I don't a, do it. It's like uh, death is the only failure, I think, or like um, unless somebody kills you, or like if you die from something, like that's that's totally your fault. What a Final Fantasy thing to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like. <laughs> You know, that sounds not, like a badass tattoo. You should have no, like, like across a, your no, chest. See, like, like, see, like Benny, I should, I, I should have said this. I should have said this. Not dead yet. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Right? Jason yep. Becker. Yeah. Yep. ALS yep. awareness for Jason. Yeah. Jason. And, so, and he's. I'm sure he's watching this. By the way, he's going to be like, wait a minute. How is this fucking annoying dude? No, that's smart guy. That was so nice <laughs> for me. Like, because you're just going to reiterate that I'm a nice guy, which is just hammering home bad opera conditioning because Jason's so nice. You, he'll tell yeah, you like, he's so yeah. nice. He's the nicest he's, guy. He, he's the nicest guy. He's the funniest guy, too. His emails are super funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, he talks like Stop. he talks like a, he's like, dude, bro. Hey, like, it's like, <laughs> he's just like, hey, man, I was doing like I, I just lo- it was great because he when we when we did the song, take another piece, he wrote. He's like, oh, yeah, he's like. Marty, Marty and Alex Skolnick know what I think about him. But I think I met Nuno in Japan in 1989. And I think he should like, I, I love him to know that like, I really, I really like him. He rips or something to that extent. And I was like, hey, Nuno, Jason thinks you rip. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. I was uh, so excited. So just, just coming back to the discussion, I think obviously, you know, failure doesn't bother me is a quote I just wrote down. That's a pretty good attitude. Has that, um, you know, uh, how has that served you, you know, aside, you know, you've, you've mentioned a couple uh, experiences where you kind of maybe pulled it off by the skin of your teeth, but has there been anything at any point where you would consider it like, you know, shit, I, you know, I fucked up here. Yeah. No, like, I mean, like when, when a lot of people left from video game orchestra, that was like, that was when I thought, um, I, I really failed something. And cause you know, I, I always want everyone to be happy in the group and uh, all the crew, musicians and uh, um and audience like everybody to be happy but then it just like that was like uh that was not the the best moment of my life i think <laughs> but you know somehow i just kept going like i just didn't didn't stop and, yeah and, and what what kind of things did you learn from that in terms was that like a man you know not only just a business thing but a management and dealing with people kind of lesson um yeah like what i learned was people don't think like you <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can think of a lot of things in, in your mind, but that's not necessarily how people see the things. Right. And you have to respect that and you have to kind of swallow what's, um, what's in front of you. And wait, so off that, well, but off of that one thing, when you, when you met the gentleman who had written the previous final fantasy stuff that basically fooled you into coming to Japan and said, do all my dirty work. He's the guy. There's a thing. Like, so the reason I work with Corey and Siobhan, I can be like, 
Ha 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 ha! And here's where it comes in the orchestra, and the uh-huh. guitars come in here, and Paul's gonna play this reverse blast beat, and but and they get it. They literally are hearing what I'm hearing. I do you feel like that that's the reason you got to play? Well, play to be part of Final Fantasy because you've talked to this guy, and he's like, oh, dude, he's hearing the same songs that I'm hearing, or he's on a different frequency because like mm-hmm. that is such an important thing for me making this music is the fact that when I talk to Corey abstractly, he immediately gets what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I think for for his case, I think it was a little different. It wasn't it wasn't really about the music that he um, liked about me. I think it was that that life and the experience that we shared that that was what he loved about me. And he's like, "Dude, man, like, let's just do this." And because like he has millions of choices, right? Any orchestrators and any arrangers, anybody would love to work. So he's esoteric. He liked you for your mojo. I guess. Th- that's the wrong word, I think, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's never stopped him before. <laughs> what? Which no, one? I, esoteric or mojo? Esoteric. It's that's not quite. The, well, it's fine. We don't have to talk about vocabulary anyway. I won't call well, you out on your word. conflating the wrong word? <laughs> but, yes, it, but, but it was like more about the personal, It was more about the personal connection. And yeah. uh, also, like, you know, I'm in a position to hire people to play with me now. And uh, one thing I realized was, like, was that there are so many incredible players right so many musicians so many talented engineers but why do i choose this person to work with me that's because this person is cool great hang great talent that's it i totally i can complain it's it's so interesting that when you tell the stories about orchestra musicians and in the last episode you were telling a story about the cellist that couldn't stand the buzzing (laughs) of the amp in the wrong key and you know over the years I, i started as an orchestra player i got a little bit more into you know, playing with rock bands, different genres of music, and then into the position of having to hire people for different things similarly. And you're totally right. You know, it's like there are so many people and there's often a gap in that perspective because some people have just always been players. They've never had to organize or never had to produce, never had to hire. And they wonder, oh, why am I not getting all the best gigs? And a lot of the times like, well, you're a pain in the ass. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's sad to say, but it's it's so true. I mean, it's like they're the people that I love to work with the most are people that get it. They've, They've done similar things to me we think on the same wavelength because you just skip all of that barrier in communication you're able to get stuff right. done quickly well, well yeah. you hear me home i was gonna say and i, I apologize for it but this is no, gonna lead okay. right into it the happiest i am is that when i when i work with someone like siobhan or with Corey, that they literally can just take my ideas and they can complete them and i don't feel like i have to micromanage anything i feel like i'm just taking two apple computers and then you, making you don't them feel work. like it's a micromanage you just throw a, a speck out and then you hit the road <laughs> and you're like that's yeah. how I produce guys. you guys because you're so smart that I literally could just <laughs> say, like, hey, can you guys brother- uh, take all this and just make a, the rest of the song? I got a phone oh, call with Verizon. Yeah, he's like, it's oh, you know take- Pro Tools, okay. right? I'm just going to leave you here. Well, just right, press that button and you Shut can engineer up. yourself. My brother is working the smartest, not hard in this band because he composes. What he does is he does a lot of the MIDI and his MIDI mm-hmm. is the one that's always has no velocity and it, like he uses these things that aren't the right attack, but like it's the right notes and they're brilliant, but like he's so lazy. And Sounds this like time, by a gorilla that's it yeah and i told i told brian this time like brian can you please just make it listenable he goes why would i ever do that and waste any time when Corey's just gonna change the velocity put it through his library and do all the and i'm like he's right he literally just knows he can phone it in because he's smart enough that he knows the notes that he just knows that Corey's gonna be so annoyed by the fact that there is literally no velocity that he'll make sure that everything's perfect and he doesn't have to do anything because he's been enabled i'm upping my rates 
<laughs> Brian but can like, make up the difference. There are there are gigs like that. Like there, I I've done many gigs like that too. So, and it it, it depends. And uh, if I if I like the person, I do it. If I don't like the person, I don't. And also like working with musicians, um, touring is the thing, right? Like if you are mm-hmm. with this person for like three weeks in a different country, like always like traveling, and if this if the the people surrounding you are not good people just it's difficult it's very difficult yeah yeah absolutely just kind of to take it in a, in a different direction based off you know we've been talking a lot about about composing for video games and I, i'm curious as someone who's you know uh, at least uh, you know i pay attention to like movie scoring and film scoring mm-hmm. I'm, i've always been a big fan of that style of composition and and what goes into putting together and especially now with tv how every tv show is now like a movie just with 10 parts Mm -hmm. like i've always like it's it's a crazy process it's so different than writing a song you know for an album um Mm -hmm. what about the video game side of things how does that differ from say film scoring you know because i know you know i don't play a ton of video games but Mm -hmm. you know i have in the past and there's there's something you know you go into a certain place in this game and the music changes so is there like a whole different level of, of cues and, and, and detail that goes into composition for a video game? Yeah, there, there are a lot of layers. So the, the biggest difference between the film scores and also the video game scores is that uh, one is linear and one is nonlinear, right? Mm-hmm. Like movie scores, like there's a beginning and also there's the ending. But in video games, like you don't know like how many times you die in Mario stage one, right? <laughs> A so lot for like, me. Yeah. yeah, and especially like nowadays, like if you play like Call of Duty or something, then you are like the the music is interactive. You are interacting with music as well as with the game, and so like you know some enemy shows up, and then like this distinct layer of like high string pitch, like kind of eerie stuff that kind of like makes you like aware of like something mm-hmm. bad's gonna happen, and that kind of stuff is like all layered. It's it's all layered, and sometimes like they're just triggered by like software and stuff. But a lot of times you have to like think very differently. Um, say, let's say like this stage has like a um, daytime, nighttime, and then you have to think about two pieces in the same key because you have to shift to one another seamlessly, and then like you have to have the same structure, but like you know, kind of different melody, different instruments and stuff. So it's like it's. It's kind of vertical, like uh, as yeah. opposed to horizontal. It's interesting. Yeah, it's like multivariable calculus. You can go in multiple <laughs> different much, directions. Yes. <laughs> yeah. oh, so, so tell me if this is like, so. This for me, it sounds like if you're doing an EDM song, mm-hmm. all right, and each character, each different factor is their own layer that somehow can crescendo. But yeah. ins- but instead, you're choosing which layer comes in when. And all these layers have to be synergistic, but really you're creating a unique score with all these different layers that can interact, but will give you a certain feeling, but that really at the end of the day, you're composing it with these uh, things you've already done that will symbiotically work together regardless of how they do fall together. How's your word a day calendar coming, Ben? Oh, I'm making. I'm, I'm into like three thousand seven hundred fourteen. It's pure, purely esoteric. Purely esoteric. <laughs> Don't conflate my words. No, but it really is. It's it's a. I think it's how many people play video games and how many of them think about the fact that when they stepped over that threshold, the music got a little darker. 
and and yeah. and and that someone had to think about that and say, oh, what's the vibe in this dungeon versus when they step mm-hmm. outside? I think that that's some of the craziest stuff because you're writing, you know, and creating. You really are creating a story with the music, and yes. like you said, I, and I never thought about the non-linear aspect, but you have to be like, you have to cover a lot of bases. Yeah, yeah, and also like I'm, I have seen like video games without the music, without sound effects and stuff. It's fucking boring. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Music, yeah. music has a power to like enhance the emotional feelings, and that's oh, that's only music can do. Like visuals cannot do that. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty wild. I mean, yeah, the nonlinear aspect just blows my mind. And it's, I mean, when you approach a game, I mean, do you have to kind of think of like what is the score going to sound like if it's all complete, and then you take elements away and kind of imagine how they have to fit together? Like, what yeah. what is the thought and creation process when you're coming up with some of those ideas? No, you're exactly right. I, I think uh, what I usually do is like I just create like the full like big thing, and then like make it reducible. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, th- no, this it makes is sense. Why, it makes sense. Yeah, this is why a lot of uh, uh, video game scores like we record sections separately. Like we do strings first and woodwinds and brass and everything separately so that we can be layering all these things. So do you like have like, do you say like, okay, if I'm going to compose for an orc, I must think like the orc. And if I was an orc, I would only use a stylophone. And then you find the guy that plays the stylophone. And so when the stylophone comes in, it's the, it's the element of the stylophone that represents the orc that synergistically goes along with the entirety of your composition. I don't know if I but hear the stylophone meshing with the orc But that's imagery. operantly <laughs> conditioning you to think that when I hear the stylophone, I think orc. Yeah, like, I, I, think, I think you're correct. <laughs> yeah, like you decide, I, I think you I might it. be too. <laughs> no, but like, you, you basically decide like what triggers what in the game, right? So like you know, like let's say like you know scary feelings, like high strings, mm-hmm. kind of like you know like ponticello, like very like um, like weird sounding and like lots of glitz and stuff. So there are like a like there are sounds that can trigger your emotion in a certain way, and uh, that's the, that's the kind of stuff you have to think about. Sure. Yeah. And for How those much- that don't know what Ponticello is, it's when you play close to the bridge. <laughs> Gives it that kind of like uh, metallic, sc- screechy, kind of like, screechy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. screechy. Um, yeah. So how much collaboration is there with the, the designers of the game? Um, music comes at the very end. So a lot of times, unless you're very lucky, you don't really get to like jump in the middle of the video game production to start yeah. working on the stuff. But some indie guys are super nice. Indie guys are like, you know, hey, like, why don't you come over and just to check out the game and like you can play the alpha version or beta version or whatever they have. They'll tell you everything about the games. And uh, yeah, like then you can start developing the, the musical story in your head with the game's producer or director that which makes it a lot easier, but like some big gigs, like when they're very protective about their IPs, mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. don't get to see anything. Like it just like they tell you what the game is about uh-huh. without the title, <laughs> and then you kind of have to like imagine everything. What is a so, time like li- timeline like for this sort of project? Because let's imagine you get a game, you know, once it's basically almost complete and you have to do the music. Roughly, mm-hmm. how much time does it vary, or like how long of a amount of time do you get to come up with all of these ideas? It varies by the experience of the production, um, which means that like if the game production is really not like they're starting up, like they, you know, a lot of people tend to think that music can be made in like a, a day, right? <laughs> 
I know. <laughs> for some reason, that thought is universal. <laughs> Everybody think, everyone thinks so. So yeah, like a lot of times, like they, they come in last minute and they're like, oh, hey, like we only got like three months into the release. Can you do this? And you're like, okay. <laughs> But, yeah, some people might say, um, we got two years into the release and like, can we just work in chunks? And yeah, like that's, then you're lucky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but like we we've had situations like um, see like these are the stories you don't you never get to hear. But uh, there was a game I worked on. I'm not gonna name it, um, <laughs> but so we this game was. Um, I think this was like a, one month before the release. We were still recording, which is dangerous. Like this never never happens, and this is a big game. And at at that level, like. Everything's done like three, four months. Unacceptable. Before, and gold, Unacceptable. gold masters are all done. But like, yes, yeah, like literally, like we're like working our ass off and recording. We booked the WGBH studio uh, for like a, one week straight, <laughs> and I was there from 8 a.m. to like 10 a.m. 10 p.m. every day for seven days, recording everything. And this was like one month before the release. We were like, "Holy fuck, what's gonna happen?" And so, like, we, we obviously the the plan was miscalculated by their end, not, not our end, because we were like, "Come on, like, we gotta do this." And so then we finished recording everything, and they didn't make it in time. So what they did was on the day of the release, they released like this huge update. <laughs> <laughs> so if you didn't install the update, everything's MIDI. If you play the, if you install the update, everything's live. <laughs> yep. Wow. Nice Way to hack to that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like we made it. We made a swapping. <laughs> the, the, yeah. No, that's, right. that's it's interesting to hear your perspective though, because in in various projects that I've done, it, it it is similar where a lot of people think that something can be thrown together really quickly, or you can compose yeah. something, or even getting together an ensemble of musicians. Like so often, yeah. people are like, "Oh yeah, let's do something three days from now," and yeah. it's like you know we all scramble to get it done and we pull well, it that's together. Lost but symphony. it's symphony. Everything we've ever done, they're like, "Oh, aren't you coming out in like six days with it?" We're like, "Dude, we gotta talk to a guy in Ukraine to do the picture. We gotta like fly people here. <laughs> Our guitarist doesn't even have a face. He, uh, we don't even know what he sounds like. Uh, like all this crazy stuff. Oh, and the other guys in Canada, we don't even know if we can leave. Like it's crazy. And 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 people have these expectations because I feel like." Music has been, I don't want to say devalued, but because anyone can make it on their computer with the midis, that like the fact that you do this orchestra with 58 people, like most people would just be like, but why couldn't I just do that like Kanye? Okay, well, at the risk of losing all of our listeners on the Ben rants, I want to come back to kind of the art of of composing and on uh, working on music that has both orchestra and let's say rock band. Because me personally, that's something that was hard to learn was how to write orchestral parts that complement, let's say, a bunch of guitars or guitars yeah. and drums. Yeah. And I wonder if you have any perspective you can share on maybe some of the tricks of how to make some things like that work together, how to not let the orchestra get in the way of the band, or what is your compositional process when you're trying to put something together that's such a large, thick texture? Yeah, so like that, that's something I struggled when I started as well. And uh, I eventually got to the point where I had to decide what is the focus of the group? And so I said, the band is the focus of the group because it's the loudest, very simple. The loudest also, also you can't play like an orchestra. You, you can't ask a drummer to play like an orchestra drummer. 
It's just mm-hmm. impossible. And then he's off time every all over, right? And so, like we said, like okay, the band is the band is going to dictate the the musicality and also like rhythmic like um, elements of the orchestra. And that then like it became easier, a lot easier. So like we, when I when I write the music, like I write the band part first, and then put the strings on, and then the rest I feel the rest. And so like by kind of taking the majority vote, I think.、Um, The soundscape also made became pretty clear to me because before that, like I was like, there has to be a way to like mix everything up and just make it sound great, but、yeah. it just wasn't. It wasn't working. In the、yeah. live shows, like I was just so stuck with the idea of using amps and also like an, an acoustic drum kit, like big drum kit and stuff. But when you use them, like they're too loud,、mm-hmm. and then orchestra musicians cannot play in tune. Because like you guys listen to each other to tune,、mm-hmm. but then、like, you just can't do it with with the drummer just like <laughs> just hitting their his symbols and the、like, double bass, like the hardest you know he can do, and it's just impossible, right? So do you use an so, e kit now? Yes, yes.、Yep. You 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 must. You、yep. if you want to get a good sound on stage, you have to. This like there's no question. Like there there's no way you can do it unless you are like playing a st- stadium. Mm-hmm. Then, because then they can they can hear you, and that stage is big enough, so you can. But what、it. if Michael came and came back from the dead and did an S and M again, and you have Lars Ulrich who can't even keep a beat <laughs> playing on stage, and you have a whole org- <laughs> I, that's the thing that's the most genius thing about S and M for me is that <laughs> one of the greatest parts about、uh, Metallica and is that James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich play perfectly together. More of like James Hetfield knows how to follow Lars's、mm-hmm. time, and I use、right. time in quotations. But how crazy has that have to be for a Michael Kamen who came in and did S and M and all of that and took a song that's as dense as Master of Puppets and then said, "But this is where the strings are going to come in, or this is where I'm going to do a, a, a variance on a theme." How did he make that work? Where we wanted to do this? No,、uh, I, I watched the show many times, and also I listened to the album many times, and he was following the band. He he definitely was following the band, so he knew the band was the star of the show. And that's how you decide, and that's how you do it well. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to do it. Yeah. Not not to interrupt you, but you know, as someone that comes from classical music where everything is overdone, you know, you listen to Brahms symphonies and there's like five layers of counterpoint between the strings, and so right, my tendency、right. is always to do that. And the joke that we say about Marty Friedman is, you know, I came up with an orchestration for him. He's like, no, it's too much. There's too much going on. Like, yeah, pay yeah, attention yeah. to the guitar. And I, I totally, totally had to rethink the way that you know I used whatever strings I wrote to complement what was there and not distract from it, and but、yeah. still make it. Cinematic and, and epic and big, but and Marty Friedman is a good metaphor for Japan because he gives you the illusion of free thought, like Cartesian thought, where he's like, "Okay, I want you to orchestrate to this. Here's an example." <laughs> What he wants you to do is regurgitate his example verbatim <laughs> on your instrument, so that whatever he did on the guitar is now a violin thing. Whereas basically, he wanted me to program a, MIDI that was a, a transcription I, I of his guitar. I, I made fun of Siobhan and I said, "You know what? We need to impress Marty Friedman. Why don't you write something wild and progressive?" Not knowing that Marty Friedman actually doesn't prefer that. So、uh, <laughs> he hated everything, but it was 100 because Siobhan did what I asked of her. Yeah, but you know, like there, there are certain things that you should never do, like when you play with like a lead guitar player, right? Like if you write certain string lines, like they will never be in tune with the guitar, so it's it gets annoying. And especially cello, cello is never in tune with the guitars unless you have like a bigger cello section. If you have like eight, six, eight, nine, ten cellos, 
then it's in tune. But yeah, it's, like it's anything, so interesting that you say that. No, yeah. go ahead, go ahead, go on. No, like Take anything, notes, anything below that, it just like, it goes out of tune, right? And and also like, it's just the way we do vibratos. It's different because the, the strings, like you guys, the pitch goes up and down. But guitars, it only goes up. We had this <laughs> when, conversation when with Bumblefoot. Thing. I was telling him how jealous I was because as a guitarist with, you know, frets, I can't do a standard vibrato that goes up and down. He does that And he's like, oh, you mean like this on my fretless guitar? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, you need that. And also you, you do have to, like ideally you need to get the, the true temperament frets for the guitar because then you can be really in tune with the piano and the strings. But without that, just like dividing everything just so equally with the frets, like you're never in tune with anything. That's so, so interesting. Yeah, that's something that I struggled so much with. I mean, and I play in a band now that's got one violin, one cello, and then uh, a oh, rock man. band. That's, and it's, that's tough. <laughs> it's, you know, and when we play in orchestral settings, it's like, you know, we play well in tune. We went to university. Like, we, we yeah, practiced yeah. our scales. Yeah. But I've never struggled so much with trying to match intonation than I have with, yeah. with guitars. Well, here's, with yeah. the, if you tune a normal guitar, a G and a D will never be totally in tune. Oh, yeah. It right. will never be, right. it'll never be totally in tune. And when I How found about out about true- major bar chord? <laughs> <laughs> yeah the well, worst the chord on a guitar ever <laughs> i would love to play true temperament frets but one of the things i i, I heard and i ha, i have i don't have a guitar with them was that my buddy got the frets and they stay perfectly in tune but that the fret job was terrible on his guitar so that like the the frets were horrible on the side but yeah it kept perfect tune but no, it like, makes you, sense yeah you, you gotta get the better version of it like so like you have to like a custom order the guitar and uh there are a bunch of luthiers in europe like they do they specialize it's a it's a licensed thing you have to be licensed by true temperament guys to implement it wow and yeah you gotta get that and it's just it it's it's in tune like it's so good do you it's know what the Sam, science is behind amazing. it siobhan Well, I mean, I know that, you know, the way that violinists play intonation is also different from like, Mm -hmm. even sometimes when you play with piano, because the piano is evenly tuned a certain way, violinists will alter certain tones in the scale, you know, to create tension, like leading tones and major thirds, minor thirds. So when we play in orchestra, it differs. Mm -hmm. If you look at the true temperament frets, they look all wiggly and stuff. And that's because some crazy person who invented them took the actual measurements of the exact distance of uh, of what the actual notes are so they're all kind of squiggly lines and all of that because now you can play anywhere on the fretboard and it's literally like playing a piano in that it's perfect like you could play you know a chord way up here and it's the same down there because it's the exact distance but it looks mm-hmm. a little bit weird because straight frets is actually not uh, pro- yeah, scientifically a, correct. A lot of people don't know this, but if you're recording in a studio, it's not uncommon to literally retune the guitar for every single chord that you play, because yeah. you can't do you know uh, you know a bar chord on the fifth fret and then the first fret and have it be the same tuning. And right. that's mm-hmm. why like you know people like Eddie Van Halen are famous for uh, you know having that was it the G detuning the G string so that he can do those beautiful riffs and the double stops and be perfectly in tune and if you try to play um you know run it with the devil in standard tuning it sounds out of tune uh mm-hmm. because it, literally the guitar is imperfect in that way yeah yeah and also like a lot of people don't understand about the timing of the, the when the sound comes out right so like violins a string instruments like it takes a little mm-hmm. bit of time to produce yeah. a sound but the guitar's like bang that's yeah. it like, yeah the, the sound articulation is right there. yeah so like you have to like always think about compensating this gap that latency mm-hmm. uh, when you write 
otherwise you just like everything doesn't align and it sounds like you know like rhythmically completely that's, off. that's a lesson that that i learned from lost symphony getting the midi and it's like mm -hmm. the midi's All perfectly the aligned to, yeah. to the downbeat but the it's like everything sounds behind the beat and laggy and then you gotta oh, yeah, go horrible. in and slide everything because because the violin doesn't hit the full pitch for mm -hmm. you know a couple milliseconds you know there's a little like kind of yep. build up for the bow and yeah so it's it's all the stuff that you wish you didn't really have to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but stuff like that, like I acquired these knowledge from experience, like by doing things and listening to all the sessions and hearing this, like these differences in the, the characters of the, the instruments. And uh, also like you can't write too much brass because like then they will complain that they're playing too much. Would have been the same deal. <laughs> Sounds and like you learned a lot from the live performances, which is something that we really haven't experienced much yet. You know, it's all just recorded albums. But oh, yeah, yeah, I guess you would before, learn a lot. Before Lost Symphony does anything live, we'll be giving, we'll, we'll, we'll be talking to you to go yeah, through see, everything and, and, and make it trans. Because, you know, nowadays, like, you can fake so much in the recording process, right? Like, mm -hmm. you can oh, be like, hey, let's do section by section. Like, let's fix everything. But, like, I'm, like, I'm trying to stay away from that kind of stuff. So, if, to me, if you write a piece, it, unless it's, like, an interactive music, like, video game stuff, if you're writing an orchestra piece, it has to be playable from the beginning to the end. It sure. has to be. And if you have to stop and edit to, like, record the stuff, then as an orchestrator, it's kind of failure to me. Like it, you know what I mean? It has to be perfectly playable. Oh yeah, that's why I keep getting better people for our band because I suck. <laughs> but I know that if I'm following Mariko and Siobhan and Corey's gonna have to figure it out. Like he, he. That's the thing is, even if he isn't the the greatest in the band, he's gonna have to. He knows he's gonna have to get to whatever level is gonna be acceptable. So like between that, I know that no matter what I write, it's gonna be accomplishable. Because <laughs> they're great, they're so good, and I, I love challenging them. I want another. I think race. you just drive us to insanity. I don't know if we ever play this stuff live. We'll see. The new song was written like a, like Broadway, so like I, I wrote it more of like an overture. Yeah. So yeah. specifically, yeah. Well, I know but you know, like it's, it's just like when, when you do a recording session, you have a a time frame. Like you have this, you know, seven o'clock is like that's that's the time when we have to finish. That's that's when everyone leaves. Right, especially if you're recording in like Hollywood or like London, or they they leave like right at the time. So mm -hmm. your job as a producer, composer, or director is to finish the session with a good good quality outcome within the time frame. Mm -hmm. So then you can't you can't write something that's like that takes time to record. So if it's playable from the beginning to the end, very easy. It just works flawlessly. But like we, we just had a session with a string quartet and this composer, I, I warned him. He's like a pretty typical like MIDI composer and he did MIDI composer. Yeah. And he, he did the stuff and uh, I told him, hey, look, I, I look at the score, but like this is going to take a long time and you may want to fix this. And the reason is this, 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 this. And he was like, no, like I just want to see. And guess what? It took, you know, two hours to finish this Piece, and eventually we had to record viola and cello together and then <laughs> violins together just separately yeah. and just put them all together and then like it's like is this like what is this right like what's the point of recording a live ensemble right if you have to divide it that much it's you're you're missing that magic i guess of it happening yeah exactly. at the same time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i have so many notes this is great <laughs> <laughs> who needs college yeah, but it, yes, like, but like, bottom line is, it has to be playable. It has to be playable from the beginning to the end. Then it's it's a good piece. 
Yeah. Yeah, Siobhan, make sure that that's possible because you're going to be doing all the orchestrations <laughs> and we're going to have to do it live at Mechanics Hall. We're going to have huge, giant, like uh, beautiful uh, lights above us. It's going to be an empty, all these pictures of presidents, a giant pipe organ. And I got to look at you, Susanna and, and Marco and just be like, and then we're going to be behind a Midas board and there's going to be lights and then it's just going to be like, play the whole song. Yes. And then do it again 12 times so it sounds like we have a lot more people like we're talking about how we shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, no, like we've we need that. eight like, cellos. Eight yeah. is yeah, the no, like, number if we want to play low. Eight is the number. But see, like when we were just so like, when, even when we we're doubling and layering, like we we went on so far to like have players switch the bows, like change the bow because typically mm-hmm. players carry like two or three bows and it sounds it sounds different. And also, mm-hmm. we we would intentionally prepare chairs for like as if it's a full yeah. orchestra, and yeah. then like we switch to seats and then change the bow and just kind of shuffle them up so that like it sounds like a full orchestra. And mm-hmm. uh, if you if you go that far, then like it just sounds very very convincing. More notes. All right. Yeah. Oh, this is great. Well, you know, the nature of our project is I'm up until this point have been the only string player. So when we record stuff, it's like I'm doing all the layers of the violins and violas. And it is, you know, of course, it's missing something because I have a certain way of doing my vibrato and a certain way of bowing and multiplying. Well, you my talk sound to yourself the same. through tracks. So Siobhan, you tell her, do a layer, do a layer, do a layer, do a layer. And because she's so like brilliant off the top of her head, she does it. But you can hear her slowly like talking to herself through all of her different <laughs> takes. And it's like, but which voice do you listen to? And it's, well, it's adorable. Not that. You get so now- you get a you get a blend when you have different personalities playing. That's what that's the right. the beauty of an orchestra. You know, you have different people with. Different but what if styles, you have multiple personalities yourself? <laughs> then you have a schizophrenic album, <laughs> <laughs> like I love that. Voice album. Yeah. <laughs> Schizo that's schizophonic. Yes, his album. Yeah, schizophonic. schizophonic. Think- yeah, yeah, schizophonic. Like two thousand five or something, I think. He's, uh, you see guys, he just posted the other day, he's putting out two solo records this year. Oh, I already but, got messages but, online but, but asking no what's going on. New, no mentions of the new Extreme record, which I'm, I'm waiting. Yeah. Dude, dude I got, I, I actually got upset because some dude wrote to me, he's like, hey, so I saw that new notes, like recruiting a band and all that. Like, so what's going I on with that, Extreme yeah. and Bo? No, but someone inboxed me about it, asking me, I'm like, first off, if I knew, I wouldn't fucking tell you, random person on the internet. Essentially, I'm like, I'm not Nudo. I want the album just like you. Like, I don't know what he's doing. And I guarantee you, knowing Gary Sharon and Pat Badger, that they'll, that they'll tell you that, like, they don't know what's going on either. <laughs> yeah. Right. But without, you know, without getting too far off in that direction, because that's a, that's a whole nother can of worms. Um, you know, we got about 15 minutes left. Uh, and oh, uh, one thing you mentioned briefly before we started recording is that you're working with Isotope, yeah, uh, yep. a plug-in manufacturer. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think, we've never had a chance to speak with anyone on that side of the music production mm-hmm. world. So can you talk a little bit about what you're doing with them? Yeah, so um, they approached me, like, it's been like three and a half years, I think. And um, they they invited me to the company and say like, hey, like we're expanding business to Asia. Like we want to put more focus and can you just like give us some advice over the culture and the business and stuff. And so like I went in and just talked about stuff and they kept calling me back. And eventually they were like, hey, like, can you just, um, can we hire you as a consultant to just like do marketing more? And like, sure. And so like since then, like I'm pretty much involved in like a lot of the things that they do in Asia. 
And mm-hmm. actually, like, I, I work with like a bunch of other companies too, because <laughs> like they all. So like once Isotope became so successful in Asia, then like a lot of people heard about it and they started calling me. Yeah, so, and for anyone that's not familiar, uh, Isotope makes like like plugins um, that that are huge, uh, not only for music production but also post production for for films and movies and audio restoration. Um, they make they make just very very useful stuff and are they based in boston i know they have yes a presence yes. here yeah yeah um so they're they're a local company to to us here but they're uh, i i have a question for you Corey. yes of all the the jobs that shoda has and he has over seven forms of income so he might be a millionaire <laughs> um uh, i i, I want to know which ones you prioritize playing you guitar on first. stage okay and then, then would it be video game music guy? Would it be uh, isotope <laughs> creator? Would it be marketing consult? A consultant is the greatest job. That's such a bullshit job. Seem, that seemed like the, that's the one I yeah, want. Yeah, it's like just yeah. just show up because you're, you're, you're going to tell us about about Asian culture. You're an Asian. You know about Asian culture. You do this. Help us. And they're like, ah, oh, well, you work here for us as a consultant, which means that you just pay for food with their money. <laughs> no, it's it, it's kind of true. Um, well, for me, like I, I'm a little bit more involved than like just talking. But like, and a lot of consultants I know they just talk, and that's all they do, and they get good money. And yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you what you, you mentioned marketing. So, what what specifically are some of the things that you're doing for them? Um, so yeah, like I, I help uh, guiding social media and also uh, coming up with like a, a culturally appropriate campaigns. And because, you know, like our holidays are different and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also social media is like used very differently. Like some things like the work here just don't work. Like, like, for example, memes, like we don't we don't get memes like Japanese oh, people sounds, don't get memes. That sounds like, awesome. It's just it's just not <laughs> our culture. So like nobody gets it. Interesting. Yeah. Jokes are different. And uh, yeah. And also you got to work with uh, a local dealers and distributor. And like when when you have to do that, you really do have to know the culture. And also they prefer to talk to somebody Japanese. So, yeah, then I step in and talk to them and just sort everything out and things go well and everyone's happy. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing, man. Yeah, Yeah. you have your you have your, uh, you know, your hand in so many different aspects of of this industry that that we that we live in. But also, you know, we talk to a lot of our guests that are in it and um you know, some of them are are very eclectic in their in their way, but some of them are very f- hyper focused in one aspect. Mm-hmm. So it's always cool to see the different perspectives of someone who's able to kind of reach around and, and follow that. Yeah, but like my company has like a bunch of staff. Uh, they are helping me to do all the things, right? And that's mm-hmm. the only way I can accomplish this. And sure. me, like, but like in my heart, I, I love live shows more than anything. Like yeah, I, want to just I think get up we to the all stage do. And yeah. Just yeah, just go go fucking crazy. That's the, that's the best. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask you what what's a day in the life like right now for you at managing all these different ventures and businesses? What what's an average day for you like? You know, like the uh, Mac has the, this screen time feature that tells you how many ch- how how many hours you are on, and the, yeah, that's just like uh, <laughs> I I always regret like seeing that. Because I'm like, <laughs> I think we all do. Am I, what am I doing on in front of a computer for like ten hours a day? Like, why? That's and, it. Or well, sometimes <laughs> more. Yeah, but yeah, and yeah. So it's like the the schedule varies every day because like I sometimes I talk to people in Germany. Sometimes I have to talk to people in uh, in Japan, Brazil, and 
different time zones it, mm-hmm. it's the it's the most difficult thing i think because you have to get up at a certain time and you have sometimes you have a meeting at five o'clock five a.m and then one a.m like you just yeah it goes yeah crazy but then like you know i get calls for doing recording sessions orchestration and everything and right now i'm doing uh this big score for uh this taiwanese pop star i i don't know him but <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I got this gig. It's a big and this gig. Is like, I don't know. Yeah, but like this, the, the song is like a almost like a alternative like rock, like modern alternative rock song. And they were like, "Hey, can you add like a big fucking mega orchestra to this?" And I was like, "How?" <laughs> but but I have to make. But it you happen, said so. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said yes, and yep. the recording is happening on the twenty first this month. So I gotta I gotta really do it. And they want like big thing, like triple triple horns, like. You know, triple woodwinds and uh, like eight horns and just everything and like a full Mahler orchestra, yeah, insane. Yeah, that's that's the sound they're going for. But like we we booked a, a full orchestra session in Budapest, Hungary, and we're doing it like everything at the same time, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. So yeah. when do oh, you yeah. do most? Oh no, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, like I was gonna say, like this, uh, the one thing about playability. So uh, it has to be playable with everyone. Like that's what I meant to say. Like it has to be if it's an orchestra piece, it has to be playable as an orchestra. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so like this session is just like full orchestra stuff because otherwise, you know, I, I know how like orchestra musicians think, and uh, when you do section sections separately, like it just doesn't quite blend together, you know. Mm-hmm. And you you listen to each other. You even listen to like you know oboe, uh, horns, and everything to kind of like blend the whole thing. That's that's how you function, mm-hmm. and and without. Like having everyone in the same room, it's just like a very difficult to blend in the mixing stage. It just doesn't, yeah. doesn't work quite well. When, when <laughs> you have an orchestration project like this, for example, what, like what is your process like? And do you tend to work, you know, writing more in the evenings and the mornings? Like, what do you have any sort of rhythm to the how you write and work on these projects when it comes to actually composing an orchestration for an artist? Let's say. Um, the deadline dictates what I do, I think. <laughs> so <laughs> if the deadline's three days from now, then like I just do it. Like Sure, of course. Regardless of what time it is, I just do it. And also sometimes if I'm stuck and I can't think of anything, I just just go out and just have fun, just eat out or something. Wait a minute. Are you are you the new Michael Kamen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm listening to you talk, man, and I'm just like, you are the guy. Like you're the guy. <laughs> But, like well, li- you, you like literally you you again not gonna go through the whole thing, but you just you said I'm not gonna go to school. I'm just gonna go to the, the land of milk and honey, <laughs> okay, not Israel, <laughs> the United States. And then you're just like I'm just gonna create this thing. And now you're like you found your own corner office in this thing. And now you're a consultant for said thing. And now said thing is like six different things that are their own companies. Am I correct so far? <laughs> but you just want to rock out. Yeah, I just want to rock out. Yeah. That's what it takes, guys. I want everyone to notice. It takes being Shoda to have an awesome guitar and actually being able to rock out. You have to have eight fake jobs to actually be a real one, real yeah, rock star. But like I would say, the the majority of my income and majority of revenue, like ninety percent of our income, like revenue comes from music, like pure music stuff. Like the consultation is just like a ten percent. But playing like live, like with, with like, but playing like live, live shows, how? Well, live shows and also like, well, like last year online online concerts. And oh, okay. Production stuff, yeah, yeah. So, 
Yeah. Well, since you work in video games, have you thought about doing the ABBA road where you're going to have like your own hologram of yourself where you <laughs> don't even have to go anywhere, worry about COVID or anything yeah. that you can just take your video game music and you can write it non-linearly. So every yes. concert could be different. Oh my gosh. Yes. And so like th th there has been talk like that, but like what? Of course there has. I I'm just like curious, like, yes, that, that could be good for business, I think. <laughs> But like, what does it do for the musicians? What does it do for the community? I don't know if that's if that does anything for us. Not yet, at least. Yeah. So you're and like I, Robert Hunting's Goddard sending the Germans his V2 rocket information, just going, <laughs> no, I, I want to share information. I, no, just, but instead, like, they use it against us, and it fucking kills us all. No, like I just like working with people. Like I don't want to work yeah. with like meta and like just avatars. Like I don't care about that. And I, it's just. Like there's a there's this certain chemistry like when you work in person with people with a big ensemble and stuff like you're on stage and just everybody's sharing this excitement together and having this like positive exchange of exchange of positive energy throughout the concert that's like that's music to me and that's why I love the concerts the most um yeah so that that's what I want to do and I support my people first like all my boss and musicians the, this community first and so meta vr and stuff great as long as i can involve all my people by like you know i'm not as interested in that. <laughs> no that's a, yeah. that's amazing yeah it's very cool So listen as we as we bring this episode to an end um you know i just obviously want to thank thank you again for hanging with us uh yeah. i've i've you know, I have the show notes, but I also have my own personal notes that I've been taking down, so the <laughs> yeah. things that I've learned. But, uh, you know, we have a few minutes left. And, uh, you know, with, with Video Game Orchestra and, and, and in every other thing you have going on, kind of what's your, what's next for you? What do you, what do you plan on? You have some tours coming up, but what's the ultimate goal, yeah. you know, a couple of years down the line? Um, man, that's a hard question, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. That's why I saved it for last. I think it's hard to predict when, I mean, you know, when you're someone like you, I can relate to this. It's like, you never know who's going to ask you, you to do have, something tomorrow. So you have an idea of you, what you're going to do, but it, you should it have a nonlinear answer. That's the answer is nonlinear. Yes. Yeah. So I guess uh, for, ideally, ideally, I what mean, would be the I mean, for situation. music, as, as a musician, I want to obviously um, do more live concerts and I definitely want to go back to big venues like Symphony Hall and all those places and just have a good time with everyone and uh, just create this win-win situation where everybody gets paid and everyone's having fun, have a good time. And yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. And as, uh, as, a, as a CEO of the company, I want to increase the amount of money that I pay to people. So like I have to bring more gigs, <laughs> yeah. a lot of responsibilities. <laughs> but like I think that the the role of CEO, the the quality of CEO is measured by how much you pay people. That's, that's a I great mean. statement. I I I can agree with that. That's amazing. Yeah, and so so basically, I'm mm -hmm. the worst. I'm like the slumlord of CEOs. I pay people <laughs> nothing. I get like Marty Friedman to be like, "All right, I'll give you my trash price because I know you're broke." And I mean, like, like, meanwhile. I'm like you getting Symphony Hall. I'm like, but but Angel Vivaldi, I have no money. And he's just like, all right. Yeah, but like, you know, there's a limit of what I can do. But it's still like I, I try my best to support the community because that's, that's like without them, I, I'm nothing. I, I can't do anything. And I, I love them. I love my musicians and you guys and everybody contributing to make great music because like we are like when people are listening to our music, they're just happy. 
right? Mm-hmm. And they forget everything else, and they're just happy in the moment. And that's the that's the time that we want to create more. And that's what I want to do. That's beautiful. That's <laughs> yeah, perfect way to wrap this up. Maybe you know? idealistic, but you know, hey, <laughs> still a great goal that. to have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, no, I'll, I'll tell you the most freeing thing about Lost Symphony, and this is what I, I've wanted to do with, we're doing a new song and it's like 10 minutes long or whatever, is I don't want to conform to any norm. We don't write any song that's anything like anything. So just do what I want. And I, I, I noticed that like when I, I like music when it can take me a place. So I'm on my bike and I start one place and then next thing I know I'm like, I'm a mile away from where I was and I just on listen your to that bike? song. You don't mean your hoverboard? Well, I have a hoverboard. Well, not hoverboard. It's a one wheel mostly, <laughs> but I do have a mountain bike as well. Um, but the point is, is that I want it to be like a journey. And it's like, you don't listen to songs anymore that are a journey. You listen to songs that are literally vapid, that are like TikTok generation of editing that immediately have to catch you so fast that when you're just going, din, 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 that the, do you find it refreshing? Finally getting the people that are so sick of that, that like they've completely reverted back to where we are. I don't think I even caught your question. <laughs> the non, the non TikTok editing where we are free to do whatever we want. So if he wants to write something in 11 for seven minutes with his 54 piece orchestra with his electric drums that aren't even real drums, like uh, you can do that and you actually can yeah. get in a room with all these people. So really your imagination is is where it stops and I would think it'd be such a limiting box if you had to try to imitate what's popular and the fact that you know how to write what's unpopular and it's just what you want to do is so much more unique. It seems pretty like, popular based on the crowds I've seen in his yeah, shows. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know who <laughs> you're talking to. Maybe you're talking to yourself that. right now. Because he made that. It wasn't popular before. He let, it's, it's Shark Tank. He found a need for this music and he made it and to the point where China's like, we need this. Brazil's like, we need this. <laughs> Isotope, we need this guy. <laughs> yes, something. Something along like those lines. That. We still don't know something, where the question was like in that, there. Yeah. <laughs> He's like the wolf in Pulp Fiction. Oh, all you need to tell me was Shoda's on it, and I'm cool. Yeah, Shoda, thank you for hanging with us, man. Really. Yeah. It, it, so really we learned you know, a lot. We learned a lot. This in, was awesome. In all of this, there has been nuggets that, that I think everyone's been able to take home. <laughs> um, we'll definitely be, you know, staying in touch with you and keeping track of what's going on. Um, you're all, you're welcome back anytime. Come hang out. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, you know. Hopefully, we can catch you live sometime. That would be an amazing mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. And uh, if you know, if I can see you in Brazil, that would be even crazier. Dude, like you have to come. You have to come. Yeah. <laughs> and where is where is a good place for for people to follow the video game orchestra yes. to follow you to to know where you're performing or what projects you're doing? Um, I think uh, YouTube like has a lot of the uh, live show videos, and also our social media channel is pretty active, like Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Okay, and where can people yeah. find those? What are the handles or the names? Uh, like if they type in video game orchestra, it should show up. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and cool. the, the website is uh, it's vgo-online.com. Uh, yeah. Instagram is just vgo-online. Yeah, like everything's so, vgo-online, I think. Yeah, yeah that like, seems okay. to be yeah. relatively standardized. So good yeah. job with your cool. marketing there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, also, Actually, I, I, tra- I trademarked the VGO as well. So oh, there you go. There we go. Yeah. Good so business. So smart. <laughs> so smart. Well, I, and I, I, we are in a position where I was going to say the Siobhan is coming to town. The whole band is coming to town. So if you're in town, Dude, we I'm formally here. Here. formally invite you down, man, to come hang out with us, Dude, chill I'll with go. us. 
feel free to be a backseat engineer. Like, oh, this yeah. will be better because this is it, man. This is what we're doing. And and we're flying Marco and Susanna, Siobhan, and Hector. If you haven't heard Hector Hellion, by the way, he's our new guitarist with Kelly uh, in our band. He's the craziest thing that Mexico has ever... He doesn't have a face. He plays ukulele. He plays bowed guitar. He means he wears and, a mask, by the way. Right. He has a face, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, somewhere. I don't know. He <laughs> talks really, like Antonio Banderas... <laughs> yeah, uh, you got just go watch that guy Hector Hellion. Like he's gonna he's gonna melt your mind. Nice. <laughs> yeah, no, all right. I, I'd love to see you guys in person. Like, yeah, we'll let's make, do it. We'll make that happen. Yeah. And uh, until next time, guys, check out we love you, bro. Thank you so much. Dot com. We'll see you next time. Thank you, as always, for listening to this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number nine featuring Jason Costa of All That Remains. Check it out. Our our band, our videos, some of them will get 20 million downloads, but we're not selling 20 million albums. Mm -hmm. Like, technically, you know, if you put, if you equate that to, you know, 20 years ago, whatever, we should all be be millionaires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, But we're not. You know, we make a decent living. It's like uh, a good business. Good, we're working for a good business. We get the corner office with the window. You know, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's. I mean, that's what it is now for bands at that echelon. But there are still like bigger echelons that are around. Like Five Finger Death Punch, those guys make tons of money. You know, mm-hmm. it just. I, yeah. I feel like it's maybe it's harder, I guess, to move echelons. Like to sure. go from yeah. the band in the van to the band in the bus, and then mm-hmm. the band in the bus to the band with, you know, the buses and the trailers to bring your stage show. With you. Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack. Keb Mo, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.